Renee Harris started an e-commerce business with no experience and is now making a full-time income selling hard lotion. She did all this whilst raising nine children. This episode, you will hear from Renee and her husband Jonathan about what hard lotion is, why Renee decided to make it, why she believes you need to teach your children entrepreneurial skills from a young age, and how to break out of the employee mindset. We didn't expect to start a business. Um, we were homeschooling the kids at the time and and still are, but we were homeschooling the kids. Jonathan Hatt was in the tech field and I it was kind of coming out of an issue, like a problem I had that I found a solution to. So for me, it was, I'm a mom, I'm changing a lot of diapers. We have a lot of kids. We have nine kids, by the way. So that's kind of plays a little bit into the whole picture, but I would have those dry, cracked fingers and heels from just super dry skin. So that was the start was me looking for a solution and then happened to hit on a solution and tried out this um, handcrafted lotion bar that I made at home. And then it was something that worked for me. And I was like astonished at how much it fixed my skin after having to do the band-aids and all the emollients and and gloves and all the things I was trying to use to fix my skin. So that was not, still not really a um, a business yet. Well, what year was that? That was 2008 when yeah. we when I first like made that first lotion bar. And then fast forward a couple more months, there was a farmer's market that was coming into our little tiny town. We have a really small town. And I was thinking, oh, it'd be kind of fun to get our kids involved and sell something at the um, farmer's market. Again, no marketing background, nothing. This is just like, oh, let's, it's almost like, let's go put up a lemonade stand. I mean, it was just like, let's go try uh, putting this out there, which from that decision to trying to figure out how do you do that, there's a learning curve. So um, just kind of coming up with the packaging ideas, trying to figure out how do you explain this? This, by the way, is a bar of lotion. So it's not pump. It's not a liquid. It looks like a small piece of soap. Um, or chocolate or chocolate. (laughs) It's actually made with edible ingredients. So that's kind of another part of it, but to go and show up and tell people try this and and then have to explain the message. So really that was our market research time. The boys and I, they were eight and 10 years old. We would go show up at the farmer's market. I'd have to have samples because people wouldn't know what it was or what it was for. And I also decided I'm just going to only have one in the beginning, only one product. So my thought was, oh, do I do soap? Do I make all these other products to get people to come? One thing that I feel like we just learned um, by, I don't know, because we didn't have any training, but we just- Well, at that time, you should mention that our goal wasn't to make that uh, an income to support our family. I was still working in the tech field for a large company uh, as an employee. And and so this was just more something kind of on the side. One, it solved the problem for her. And then we thought it would be kind of fun for the kids to get a little experience- you know, doing something positive instead of around here, a popular thing can be to low, uh, mow lawns or yeah. other small jobs for uh, for preteens or, or young teenagers. So it was just in that spirit of, hey, let's get the kids out there to do something. And that's when small you- Small town community. Small town. You can meet the neighbors. You yeah. Know, kind of fun. It, it, it was like that, how it started. So, but over time, I've surprised myself how much I really enjoyed the actual interaction with people and explaining things and even selling things and knowing that we actually had something that helped other people. And then the next week we would show up and we would see the same people. They'd come back and buy it because maybe they tried the sample first. So it kind of became almost like a little bit of a high too of like, oh, this is kind of fun. So we did that over time. We did more and more farmer's markets 
and found that we actually have something here that we can sell. So how do we do that? And can we take it online? Because you know, waking up yeah. at five in the morning on Saturdays can kind of get old. So yeah, because selling selling locally really wasn't sustainable. I mean, it yeah. was a it's a, actually a great way if other people are thinking of doing something their own. To try it's, it out. Yes. Yeah, to test. Mm-hmm. It's like a market research. So even though you're selling, it's usually not in a large enough volume. At least like where we live. Maybe if you're in a bigger city, you could. Though you run into issues of uh, uh, fees, if, if the market is big enough, you usually have to hand over a lot of your money. So you're not necessarily making that much money. You don't have a lot of traffic. It's not like, I mean, we're in California, but we're not Bay Area, California, where we had a lot yeah, of no traffic. Big cities. So we see the same people every week too. And what surprised us, which kind of comes into play later too, is that our boys really enjoyed it. And we involved them as much as we could. And in the beginning, honestly, it was a lot of just trading because I had my boys there for five hours and, you know, they're, they are um, helping me and I want them to have a good time. Trading with the other vendors. So we would trade with the other vendors. So so we would come back, you know, we bring all of our lotion bars and we'd come back with like snacks, foods, you know, vegetables, um, swords, wooden swords, just all kinds of stuff. So that was, that was the very beginning. Yeah. And then from there, uh, we, we went on to uh, decide to take it online. So that's the very beginning of the business. So you tried out a whole bunch of different things to kind of deal with the, the dry hands issue you're having and the fact your skin was, you know, in a really terrible state. But how did you come up with your own recipe? Where did you look online? Because you said this is 2008. So in 2008, right. the internet wasn't the same resource it was now. So I'm wondering how you came up with this whole all natural remedy type thing. Yeah. Okay. So back then I did not work outside the home. I stayed with the kids and I did a lot of of homemade things like, you know, we'd make our own yogurt. We would make our own bread. We would make, so I started dabbling, even making our own soap and it was in there in a soap form. And back then really the way that you can get help from the internet was not really YouTube, but it was these soap forums. So you would sign up for a soap and lotion and lip balm and so on forum. And then in there, people would be helping each other out. And so that's where I found a list of recipes. And I didn't even want to try a whole bunch of different things because I figured my skin was already a mess. Like I couldn't, I hadn't found a fix yet. But when I had heard that this is a really good solution to your you know, dry skin, especially, then I was like, okay, well, I'm willing to try some things without investing a lot into it. So I just went, and this is back 2008, I had a whole list of different recipes to choose from. And I just went and chose the easiest one. So it only had three ingredients. I can find them at my local health food store. And that's what I did. So I was able to go buy it, bring it home, make it super easy to make. And that is still the same recipe that we're using now. Well, you want to, you want to, she should clarify that it was, it was sort of floating out there, but it wasn't marketed correctly. So you wouldn't know what it was. It was just like a novelty Mm -hmm. idea. And but when she tried it, because we had t- tried tons of stuff for her and uh, to the point, like I was, I was slicing and dicing like onions and stuff because she couldn't handle couldn't, it. The lemon juice. <laughs> yeah. So it's just one of those things in life. And here's the, here's the thing too, is that normally when you think in terms of business, at least in our minds, because I was, I had an employee mindset is that you're thinking of the big glamorous thing. Either you're going to become a Mark Zuckerberg or nothing at all. You know, you got the big idea or nothing at all. And so we kind of fell in, um, thankfully into that that sort of mindset is like oh if you have a problem that plagues you and you come up with a simple solution that's at, you know kind of accessible that could be your business so 
in, in a way, the problem sort of caused the, the, the solution for us to come up with a little small business. And then that's when things started. So the marketing was horribly, no one understood what the product was. It was sold as a kind of, uh, when people talked about it, it was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. It's a hard lotion, you know, and, but, that, but it actually works 10 times better than anything else. So. Well, I should mention that we never, we didn't find the solution on the internet either. It was something that it was found oh, at a right. farmer's market. My mom had heard about it. She yeah. told me, hey, there's this thing I, somebody gave me from a farmer's market. And this is, you know, this is before I even tried it. And she was describing it to me. So then I had to go look it up to see what is this that she's talking about? And we weren't in the same city where she could just bring it over to my house. So I had to go figure that out. So what was interesting too, is that, and this is where I feel like without that training of um, trying to run a business and start a business, we also had to come up with a name for it. It was known as a lotion bar. And we decided like, well, how can it be memorable if we were to take this online for people to remember what it is? So we chose the name Hard Lotion and we got the domain hardlotion.com and that's what it's been ever since. And then the way we marketed once we did decide to bring it online, back then mom bloggers were just all over the place and making money and promoting things and you know they've got their own recipes. So I hooked up with some of the big mom bloggers and said, hey, would you like to try my product? And if you like it, can you become an affiliate for us? And you could talk it up. And I'm, this is what I was doing back then. I even shared the recipe. So I said, you, I, I want this whole trust level with your readers. I'm sharing the recipe. And then later I was putting videos up how to make it. So the product that I'm selling online, I had shown how to make it. I said, where you can buy the ingredient. I'm doing all this help to kind of build that trust. And so the recipe really got out there big time because we worked with so many bloggers, but we were content with the fact that we got so much traffic from these bloggers and then, you know, they're happy to have the affiliate cut. So that's kind of how it started to grow. And then we realized maybe we're onto something, maybe we've actually figured something out with this. And when you kind of was contacting all the bloggers, because now that's what everybody says to do, you know, all the best marketing kind of experts go, oh, you need to use influencers and micro influencers and all this kind of stuff. But when you did it, I'm sure you're in the mindset of, well, I'm a mum, and this is what I found as a solution. So other mums must have this problem. But once you realize like, right, we've actually got a product here rather than like a, you know, a useful kind of tip that I can share. How did you go from the kind of, you know, this is something that I make in my my kitchen with my kids and we sell in a father's market and you know I've told a few people that I've met online to hard lotion is now a full-blown product that we're trying to sell. Well, yeah, that's where, because I knew I was going to, the time was coming when my company was going to lay me off mm. and, and that was just a change in the market overall. And I had already survived several layoffs. And in order for me to stay in the type of work I was, uh, I was in, I would, I would have been able to stay, but the requirement would have been to travel three, three weeks out of the month. And this was every happening to all of my colleagues. So either you, that's the way you went, which means I was gone out of the home and our kids were just starting to become teens. And we had just, well, we had been in this community for a while and we loved being here and we didn't want to go back to the city um, for multiple reasons. And we thought, man, we just found a lifestyle and a place that we love, but we need an income. So my income was not being made locally, right? I, I worked from home. Uh, I enjoyed, I mean, I enjoyed my job to, to a certain extent, but it kind of ran its course. I'd come to the end of it. And in order to stay, I would have to do like what all my other colleagues were doing. I have to start going on the road three weeks out of the month. Um, and not just one time, this would be permanent. I mean, that's just the way the market was going in order to stay in it. And I was like, no, 
we didn't want to go down that road. And it was not possible for me to stay in the small community and use my, my, the, uh, my skill set at that time. It was just impossible. So we decided, okay, and looking back on it now, maybe it was a little naive, maybe, and some faith. We said, hey, let's just go full time with this. So um, that's what we did. I, I, had, uh, I was uh, officially laid off. And then I had some income coming in as part of the agreement, but we were, we, we used all our money up and we burned mm-hmm. through it. And we had a lot of uh, anxious nights. Where we were trying to test things differently. And we did a lot of things. Uh, and as far as like manually, what you're asking too, about getting a hold of these influencers. Yeah. You use the mom part. Like I, they can connect with me. And then when I would be on their blogs and if anybody, I would actually search for the ones with either dry skin or even mild eczema. Cause it really helps with that too. So it was a lot of the health and wellness and the natural minded mom bloggers that I would just reach out and say, Hey, uh, can I send you this to try out? And, um, and then I would just go person after person after person. And back then they respond pretty much like nowadays, <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. You have to get creative. You have to create a video for them. It's just a little, it's a lot different. Or you have to have a connection that can introduce you. But as soon as you can start hitting a few and then they start to post and, and review your stuff and then they have friends. So you just have to start, you have to just start like putting it out there, putting it out there. And um, yeah, but let me, I mean, she's modest because <laughs> originally when I, when we were both, we were, and we both work in the business, right. But she's the front of the business. She really is. Originally um, I was kind of like a project manager in, in the environment I was in. And so you have a certain way of talking. And most of the people in that environment are other men. And, uh, and so I was like, Hey, I could, I could do the connections and stuff. And I would start writing the emails. And she was like, Oh my goodness. You, you cannot talk to another woman like that. I'm like, <laughs> Okay. And, uh, this and is was, the hardest part of our whole entire marriage <laughs> was that year when we were yeah, trying to get this thing out. That was like, like and the hard. whole thing is, is that, I mean, you read that in the books and it's totally true that you have to understand your audience and the people who buy products for their family, hygiene, uh, a lot of stuff like this are the women, even if it's a man who's got a problem, it's still the mo- the mother typically who's going to go buy the toothpaste, the soap, medical issues, whatever it is. So you have to address the mother or the mom, the wife, the wife is probably typically what you would say. They're the gatekeepers on that. So you cannot, um, it's like educational products. You're not really selling to the child directly. The child might be consuming it, but you're selling to the parents. That's why you see advertising like, and it's educational. It's not the kids that are worried about it being educational. It's the parents, right? So the thing is, is that when she was writing, and maybe this is hopeful for other people too, it's like, if you actually have that problem that you're, you're, you're selling a solution to, even if it's a modest solution, right? we're, not sell, we're not solving cancer, we're not solving those kind of things. It's just one of those irritants in life that just plague you, right? Mm. And so she had that problem and she, she got ticked by all these other products she would try that would look beautiful, but just didn't, don't work, but they're expensive. And so she knew the frustration. So when she was writing to uh, other bloggers and then eventually to the customers, because we had direct um, contact with the customers through email, she used their language. She had already tried the other products. So she already knew um, the language. And I think that's important. So the fact that you're experiencing the problem, if you have that, mm. is a big deal. You, that's why you can compete with bigger names, because if they don't, if, if it's anonymous, if they don't really understand the problem. You're coming in, even though yours might be a simpler solution or a more modest solution. If you're the one experiencing the problem, 
you know the language. In fact, one of the uh, one of the big to me, at least as a as a as a project manager, what was fascinating is that we when we sold our product in the beginning, we our stuff was more a feminine sort of frilly looking, like you would see in a nice store. Yeah. Well, our customers and one in particular uh, sent the product back to us really angry. And uh, it was a compliment. She says, why are you trying to make it look like as if it's a, a, a it's a bath and body, works, bath and body works, which is a fragrancy, very, uh, very like it doesn't work. It's very, it's got a lot of extra packaging and they got angry. So we thought, oh, because they had all the other products that they had bought and tried were, were often overpriced, but very uh, elaborate in their packaging to make up for the lack of performance. Yeah. So when they saw that kind of packaging, it actually triggered an opposite reaction. So we had to scale back and make ours look a little more um, simple, clinical, um, simple. They didn't want anything that looked male or female, really. And uh, yeah, I mean, even even we we started making a rash cream, like a diaper rash cream, like three ingredients are basically it's a most of the stuff that we sell has only a few ingredients. So it attracts people that are having to avoid different ingredients and same thing with the rash cream for it was basically I put on the label diaper rash cream but then I'd get I'd hear from the mom saying well my son uses it on his acne and it works really well but he's he doesn't like the fact that it says diaper on it so he doesn't <laughs> want to use it but it works so what can you know so we would just okay well, we'll just take diaper off and call it rash cream <laughs> that's right oh I forgot about and that so there's yeah you make that. a lot of naive mistakes like that you just have to rest okay who's buying this and who's using it and so it's not just there's a combination of it has to it has to solve whatever issue you're trying to resolve, and it also the packaging and the presentation and the message has to match. And those two are not always easy to get. So we had we had to wrestle a lot with that. Yeah, it seems like you guys are going through a process of things at a time where there wasn't, like I said, the resources that we have now of like you know YouTube and the internet, and you're going, oh gosh, the feedback on this is saying this and that. Okay, let's adapt, let's change it. And like you said, Jonathan, you were kind of doing project managing while Renee was more so you know, r running the business type thing of like, right, I'm making the product, I'm getting this, I'm getting that, and I'm going, I'm going here and I'm going there. And I'm wondering, you, you have nine children, so you basically have a, a fleet of staff at your disposal. <laughs> what did your, your kids end up bringing to the business? Because they were, you know, involved from the start and now you had things kind of, you know, running a bit, a bit more intensely. Did they become bigger parts of the business? Oh, yeah. yeah, and in, in a different way than you'd expect. Like, I think nowadays when you have parents who are running businesses and so on, you think that the kid's going to be groomed to take over and do the same thing that you're doing. So um, at the time when we started to make an adjustment, by the way, we were able to fully support ourselves like within a year uh, by doing this online. So that what was year nice. Was this? was this? Would this this be was like this? Well, it started 2009. So by 2010, because that's, I remember that was when our number eight was born. Yeah. Is <laughs> the same exact time. That we had, so I would I would should say that um, she was born in 2010, but I think by a year after that was when we were able to fully. But you'd replace Jonathan's ourselves. income completely, right. basically, with the wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Sorry, you were it saying. was we were hustling, hustling. We yeah, were... this was. Uh, it, to be honest, <laughs> if we go back in time, if we had known uh, the amount of wrestling, it's hard to know whether or not we would we would. It's like we don't regret it, but. It's, it's it's some things were easier than we thought and other things were way harder than we thought. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing, and this goes, this is going to tie into our kids, but for us, the biggest thing is that we, we didn't have a mindset uh, to use a popular term today. Uh, we didn't have a network of other people that we knew personally that were business minded people. 
right? Everybody we knew was employee-minded people. And if they were successful, it's because they, they were professionals or whatever, mm. but, but they didn't really make business decisions per se. So like in my field, it was all about getting certifications, but I didn't make, I didn't make decisions to whether or not we should come up with this computer line or whatever. So it's not, um, it's much more waiting for other people to tell you what to do, which has its place. So we were, we, and we, we did want to, we were self-consciously wanting to take our children down a different road. We said to ourselves, and we had these discussions, we didn't want our kids to grow up with an employee mindset. Mm. But in order to switch over to that, there is much more to it than just saying, hey, I'm going to go out and, and become you know, self-employed or whatever. What the problem is, is that you don't have your, your reference point as to what it is to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not part of that, you're really having to learn from scratch. So um, I think that was a big learning curve Mm -hmm. and I would recommend anybody else. And we did, I mean, we tried as much as we could. We read the books and stuff like this, but I would highly recommend if anything, I would have doubled, we would probably have doubled down. If we go back in time, double down even more and trying to connect with real business people and ask their advice. Yeah. Not so much advice for your specific business per se, which would be awesome. But It's more, it's more the mindset. It's like, okay, we had at one time, I know we were so desperate at one point uh, as to how to run things from a business point of view that we actually found a retired older guy who uh, basically kind of, uh, he kind of gave us, uh, we were laughing because he didn't give us practical advice per se, but he, he kind of told us like, do not ever, he looked at us straight in the eyes and kind of gave us that tough talk. It's like, you think that to being a business person means you need the nicest office you can get right away and the chairs. It's like, no, you sit on a crate. You don't do it backwards. He was like, he's like, like drop. You think it's hard now. You're not trying hard enough. And we're like, holy yeah. cow. You think you're done at 6 p.m. Like, no. Going. So we're like, oh man, we're such wimps. You know, we got to, you know, because in an employee mindset, you know, when you're done, when the clock is done, you're paid by the hour and you're done more or less. I mean, you know, sometimes you're supposed to work a little harder with trying to get your certs and stuff. But no, this is like, the way people fail, he says, is they 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 buy into the status um, idea real quick, right? You have to have the fancy office, the fancy position. But he says, if it, unless it brings in you know the revenue directly or or, or reduces your cost, you sit on a crate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't get yourself a nice chair. Sometimes not until but we needed to hear that sort of yeah. tough talk. Uh, and I would recommend other people do that. Is find the people, the genuine people who've like really done it. Yeah, the hard way. And let them let them get in your face. And and that was also what we wanted for our kids. You were asking yeah. about how they get involved in the business. So one of the that same year that we switched everything, we were trying to figure out our roles as in this business. Who does what? And I was homeschooling the kids. I have a um, teacher's degree. I taught high school before we were married. So I I kind of have that homeschool, also um, I should say school mindset, which is very different from homeschooling. And so when Jonathan took over, he's like, well, let me take on some more of the homeschooling so you can be out there doing uh, the business. And what he found is that this is also where our kids, our oldest is now around 12 and realizing that we don't want to just like dump all this education on them, graduate them. They go off to college. We got married with a lot of debt coming in from our college years and we didn't want and then we've got nine kids so you well back then it wasn't as many but we didn't want to have to how are we going to pay for all this mm. so we wanted them to be very skillful in certain talents and skills that they were already interested in and so for us it made for example my oldest was already into photography we had a decent camera 
I'm in the business and I need some good product shots. Now he's not a professional and we're struggling to try to pay the bills. I didn't want to pay a professional. Mm. And so he, but we could use an education time for him to get better at taking pictures and then using our business as a way to be able to get better at it and take pictures. And we're gaining because now we have the photos that we need. So that was the very beginning of us realizing, oh, this is how the kids can be involved. And that was the most powerful thing. Like we never expected that, but now fast forward, our five older kids are on their own, running their own businesses. They pretty much decided to go the entrepreneurial route. They are, each one is doing something extremely unique. Nobody is selling lotion. (laughs) They are all doing something very unique and, you know, very confident. mm -hmm. And then we had another son who uh, he was like a natural coder. And so we would throw in when he's doing his education, we're like, you on the side, you are going to learn more about coding computer languages, get really good at it. And we had him blogging. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you've heard this, and it's, again, super powerful if you want your kids and you want to pass, get them to uh, blog about it in the beginning. Not so much because, I mean, that would be awesome if it turns out that way. It's not so much that you're trying to create an audience as you're using that as a means for them to become, to to wrestle with what, what their skill set is right. and become self-aware. So a lot of times if you're in a regular traditional schooling, you know, you're on the teacher's term, you're on the school's term as to what's important to write about. Well, you can take complete control of that. I mean, even if your kid is still in a traditional school, you can say, hey, you know what? It's all it's nice and great that you're talking about the queen or in your country or yeah. or the, you know, President George Washington and ours. But the thing is, the teachers are unimpressed. Right. They've heard this a thousand times. They're not their content is not good enough. Their their uh, skill at writing is not good enough. However, if you if you have them use that same energy to write about something they're interested in. At that same at that same level, actually, it'll be higher energy. You'll be amazed at how much the writing skill goes up simply because they've got skin in the game, right? So if they're if they're really into a particular uh, uh, topic, not just a passing hobby, they are really really worked up about their ability to be clear because somebody else will read it and say, "Oh, I thought you meant this," and then of course they get worked up because it's a subject they're interested. Like, no, that's not what I meant. It's this versus that, and so I say, like, "Well, it kind of sounds." ambiguous, they'll go back and correct it because they want, they want to communicate clearly. And we have found that by uh, having them wrestle with a marketable skill set at a much younger age completely transforms their way of thinking and, and gets them used to wrestling with problems that do have solutions. So they learn to pivot a lot. And that's something that we wanted in an abstract way for them, but it was not until we started running our own business that we would say things like as simple as like, you know, um, uh, the kids want something and we would normally, because I was on a paycheck before, right? So I'm depending more on my employer um, to, to, be, to give me my paycheck on a regular basis. But if you're directly connected to sales, we'll say, you know what, that's great that you want this, but let's wait until our sales campaign at this particular time. Uh, comes through and then we can buy you the scooter or whatever it is that we wanted to buy them. So they, they started associating um, bringing value to other people because they're young. So we're saying, well, you know, people are giving us money because we're helping them with their skin. So it's a very basic human conversation. It's not abstract to them anymore. And so there are seasons where we'd have to really crunch back on what we buy because their sales are not coming in and there are seasons of sales and campaigns. And then when it came in, it's like, okay, everyone, all hands on deck today, everyone. Let's take a break uh, from our regular fun stuff. We're going to put stickers, right? With stuff <laughs> that they were for them. And then we give them some pocket money. 
they loved it. They felt but like they were even part of it. more than that. I mean, that's that's like I think a lot of, of um, entrepreneurial parents can involve their kids in the business, pay them for it, and the kids can go off and spend their money. But what we noticed is by having them develop these skills that they're really good at and also help us in the business with those skills, whenever they earn money, they put it right back into what they're learning about. So their skill set becomes increased. Yeah. And we don't have, like, we have one son who does a lot. He does podcast editing, voice acting, and video editing. So he likes all of those things. And just yeah, a couple of days ago, he said, I want to, I want to pay for this course. Right yeah. He's 16. He says, I, I want to, and he's making money doing all those things. And he said, I want to get better at voice acting. Cause I've kind of put that on the back burner and I want to get on Fiverr and there's this course it's $97. So, okay. Our parents were like, okay, well, should we spend the $97? No. He said, well, you're making money as a podcast editor. You pay for it. You yeah. pay for it. <laughs> And they feel good about it, which yeah. is amazing. <laughs> so now instead of us having to like, he want, you know, he wants to go buy something for his car. He wants to, which he, you know, our kids do the fun stuff too, but they are the ones coming and they know they have to pay for it mm. because that's, but they want to, it's not even that we are telling them like, you really should go take this course to have a kid. I mean, if, if they're in math class at age 16, they wouldn't come home and say, Hey, I really want to take this calculus class because I like it and I'm going to pay for it. I mean, it would be rare for a kid to do that in the traditional setting. Maybe they would, and that's amazing. But to have that opportunity that when the kids are starting to really learn and get grow in something that they're very interested in, they know, they know they're getting good at it and they're bringing value. And they know that by going to the next level, they'll be able to bring more income. That's the kind of um, environment that we've fostered with the kids. And so that's how it's kind of coming full circle to pay, pay it off. Yeah. And Renee, you were you were kind of like an accidental entrepreneur because you said you had your background in teaching and all that kind of stuff. And it was great that you were still, I assume you had a passion for teaching. So you were still teaching your children, you still were scratching that itch. But but Jonathan sounds like he really kind of was almost trapped and locked into this whole employee mindset of, you know, I do my job, I go in, I clock in, I clock out, I get paid. And Jonathan, I want to ask you, how did you break that mindset? Because you were very kind of vocal earlier and you were saying about we weren't surrounded by entrepreneurial people. So I had to kind of educate and teach myself, but I'm wondering what was that process like for you in that? And how did you go about that? Well, probably multiple contributing factors, but the most, the most uh, uh, clear one was that my career was coming to an end yeah. in the traditional sense. So you could say, okay, so I could be just a traditional employee, but the problem is the market is changing, right? So I don't even have a choice, right? I'm going to have to make some radical decisions and our family was important to us. So obviously we've got kids, obviously we like kids and then we homeschooling. So we doubly like to have them at home. You know, we're like we're, yeah. we're, we like to have our hands uh, in the pie. And uh, so when you get down to it, I, I actually kind of wind up in the tech field by accident, which like a lot of people did. And that's fine. It pays the bills, right? I yeah. didn't have any degree related to it, but it paid the bills. So you kind of accidentally get into it. You grow up with the market, you get the skills that you need and all that is fine. But at the end of the day, when you look back on it, it's like you wind up in this position or in this place and you say, well, how did I wind up here? And you realize you weren't really making conscious decisions you were just sort of reacting to the moment. And then one decision becomes the next decision before you know you've got uh, uh, in, in the particular field I was in certifications or everything, you get it, but then it becomes obsolete very quick. So, but it sort of builds on top of it. So when you go down the road far enough, like in any field, at some point you're making a certain amount of income, but you can't leave it. It's not like you can easily switch fields and keep the, the income. And it's not even just keeping the income, but uh, you have to build your reputation in the field and so forth. 
And so it's not easy to switch. And this is what you hear in all the adult books, right? They all say, if I had only started sooner, right? Mm. Everybody complains, they sort of coast, but they didn't think about the long-term consequences of where they're going. So I'm, I'm like, well, why can't I apply this with my own kids? I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go down the same road with my kids and they're going to wind up in the same frustrating situation, right? A, a midlife, I didn't, have a, I didn't have a midlife crisis, but that's as close as you can come to it. It's like, oh my goodness, I invested all this time and stuff and I'm going to be laid off and that's the end of my career. And what am I going to do? Yeah. Or I'm going to have to leave the family for weeks on end permanently. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is stupid. I mean, <laughs> if I had taken more control, but it's not that easy. So that was really my impetus was for my kids. It's like, I want them to go down a different road where they're the ones calling the shots. Uh, they w- all work really hard, but they definitely do not have that fear of being on their own and making, because they're used to that. And that's, that's what I wanted for my kids. So that was, you'll do almost anything for your children once you get you into your mind. And so that's why. And I think, well, a couple things too, is I think that because he was always in that corporate world, mm. I, you probably, well, you'll remember if I remind you that the frustration, he, he would always think outside the box, like, Hey, this company should be doing this. I mean, he, he actually started blogging about, you know, things that the company does to actually add to that company and, and to make it even improvement, but they would never allow him to share those blog posts because, well, that's, you can't talk about that. Blogging was too radical back then. He was like ahead of his time. I mean, he even came up with uh, a little cartoon icon. I mean, all of these ideas. And then and way back when we first got married, he was in a little bit more of a social work type of, of um, job. And he had come up with like, you know what? We can be way more efficient. We have to keep all these records and reports. So he self-taught himself like Excel so that he could make all these a lot faster, easier. And he would bring it back and say, hey, if we can all adopt this, this is going to make our lives so much easier. We have to do all this paperwork and write this out. I've created this document. All you have to do is fill this in. It's going to make it so much smoother when we do reports. But like, no, that's not the way we do things. So it's, it was like all these ideas were shot down because you're, you're not in control. You're not in charge. Yeah. So you can be working for a company and think, wow, this could work so much better if, they, if the bosses would just do X, Y, Z. I mean, nowadays in small companies and some large ones, they'll probably listen to the employees more. Um, back then it was like, you you could come up with ideas that you want to share and you're pretty much shot down. So I think it was all of that frustration. Uh, and then seeing like, oh, we can actually work for ourselves and make money. I think once we started to figure out, wow, we can actually do that. Then all of the ideas started flowing. And I think it was pretty yeah. quick for Jonathan to come out of that employee mindset, but we still had this. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, it's like you're willing, but you, you're trying to find, well, how do you break into it? Right. So if you take the average person and, and, um, well, I, I just found out, uh, an acquaintance, um, that I had a lot of respect for had worked for the uh, post office here, which is a government controlled agency, uh, just probably like it is in the UK. And, um, and, and of course they always have the, the, <laughs> the jokes about uh, uh, they only do what they're told to and all that, you know, so there's a lot of union, there's a lot of negative views about that. I mean, they still do it. And, and the employees themselves are frustrated because a lot of times they'll complain about certain rules or regulations that don't make sense, maybe at a local level, but in some larger universe, it's supposed to make sense. So everybody's constantly frustrated. They're trying to do the best job they can. So if they, if, if an employee were to come up with, say, locally, it made sense in our particular town, hey, we should come through this door instead of that door, something as simple as that. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a regulation that was passed 200 years ago in some obscure part of the land that made sense, but now it's imposed on everyone. So there's no easy way for people to sometimes break through that. Now, 
If you're a mediocre person, you really don't care. I suppose it's a great job. But mm. a lot of people are not in that position. They, they really want to do, they want to go to the next level, right? I think that's part of the joy of working. It's like, if you're going to work hard, you at least want to know that the what you're doing is, is building something better. I mean, yeah. I, mean I think that's the, the impulse. And so for, uh, so for me, it was like I had that, that, that desire and that sense of frustration was building. And then of course you hear, you do hear, we, we were paying attention. We were reading books. People's like, well, that means it's probably time for you to break, to break out and do your thing, you know, but then, but then the next question is like, well, what do you, I mean, what do I do? I don't have the, I don't have a skill set outside of my narrow focus. So I need to start building something. And then, then we realized, okay, we, she has a simple skin problem. And we were under the gun because I knew I was going to be laid off. It was coming. And so we, we only had so much time. So that seemed to be the nearest um, um, thing to try and nobody else was doing it. So we knew we had a chance to kind of break into that uh, area and we were right. So you knew the layoff was coming. You thought to yourself, cool, I'm going to become entrepreneurial. Luckily Renee's, you know, starting or dealing with this problem and you know, that's, that's working out all right for us, but You've been running the business now for, I, I want to say nearly about 14 years, if not more than 14 years. And in those years, I'm sure it hasn't been, you know, smooth sailing the whole time and super easy. So I'm, I'm wondering if each of you could share a, a time or a story of when things kind of didn't go well, maybe on the product side, you know, you had a batch that went bad and that type of thing. Like when was some time when things went wrong, you know, either at a large scale or a small scale and, and what effect did it have on both of you and how did you grow past that? Well, we've had, I think there are times when we've had advertising partners that either, you know, went through, disappeared because they were having difficulties and they suddenly just quit on you for any number of reasons, completely outside of our control. So you, sometimes you're depending on on them doing some big advertising at a particular time of the year and the par- partnership has been going great. And then all of a sudden, out of the blues, you just, you they just, they're just done and there's no explanation. And those things uh, are hard to take. And uh, you kind of, you kind of, I wouldn't say get used to it, but you know, it can happen. And so there's that a little bit of that stress to constantly try to, and we still, we still struggle with it. So you have a natural attrition rate. One, one thing that's been good for us is that once we do get a customer, they tend to be a lifelong customer because we don't, we're not providing a permanent solution to the problem. It's more of a, um, uh, what to call that? It, it alleviates the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not, so in other words, when people have this problem, it could be a, a hormonal problem. Mm-hmm. It could be, uh, an al- they have some kind of underlying uh, issue, medical issue. So this is more like providing um, a solution to the symptoms, right? So the skin doesn't crack, but the underlying issue might still be there. The, the net result of that is they tend to keep coming back for, for our product. The problem is that over time that people, sometimes the problem does get resolved or they don't need us anymore. And so we need to keep expanding our um, batch of fresh customers. And we depend on other people. We co- to cooperate with them to get those customers. And that that's probably for us because we're still small enough that if we have a big partner, that suddenly disappears, we feel it immediately. Like if we were, we always keep saying, ah, if only we were a lot larger than, you know, if two or three or 10 of them disappear, you know, there's enough people coming and going that we won't feel it. So I think that that's always something that we, we have a lot of conversations about how to deal with a 
potential or a partner we've been working with or an advertiser and they're not responding. And so we don't, we're trying to figure this out. I think part of it too is trying to find that balance of outsourcing the jobs that maybe you're not as good at, but it seems to be important to still at least know how it's done so that either if you have to take it back, you you can, or you, you have some kind of measure of whether they're doing the job right. I mean, I'm just thinking of like uh, Facebook advertising or, you know, certain things that you may not be an expert in. So if you do outsource it, you have to know enough to see whether it's working or not. And same thing with, I think probably our ups and downs have been hiring, hiring the guru or hiring that coach, hiring the person that's going to take us to the next level Mm -hmm. and then committing to that and trying all the different things for a while. You know, the danger that's great because that has really helped us in different ways to go a little bit um, higher. And then in, in other ways, you almost don't rely on your own common sense or your own thinking to know whether that intuition is there of like, yeah, we should do that or no, we shouldn't. Because sometimes your intuition is actually stronger and you should go with your gut. Um, so there've been a couple times with that where I think we've had to, we, had to figure out. Well, the consultants made money off of us, but yeah. they didn't make money for us. And yeah. you had to come to that hard conclusion. It's like, okay, what we, you, we know you, something about the market that they don't. And, and you're, you're sometimes you doubt yourself. So it's never, it's never a clear answer. It's not like you shouldn't uh, get consultants or coaching or partners. It's just that you, you have to do a case by case and you have to evaluate where you, where you are. I know one instance that was a big, uh, at one point, this is several years ago now, Renee is a good writer. I mean, she's a teacher, so she's, you know, you're going to be trained traditionally. And I remember at one time she had started hiring some, um, people like her background who are good English writers, it was a disaster. And the reason it was a disaster is because they were writing them like as if they were school essays. Yeah. And that is, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you could not wean them off of this. They were, they were almost too clever for their own good. You know, there's the students who would have gotten the, um, you know, the best grades in school because they're such good English writers. Well, guess what? That's not how the market works. Marketing writing is different. Marketing writing is very different. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she got so frustrated with this. She'd have to rewrite these beautiful essays. <laughs> by, and, you know, Five they can't. Oh, my right? goodness. It's like it's like you got to undo the schooling. Yeah. So um, so she decided to hire a coach. And ironically, at the time, it was some guy. Uh, I forget his name right now, but um, who was moonlighting a regular job. And he was, he felt he was, he, and he was, he was really good at copywriting or adver- writing for advertising purposes. And so she would write, uh, so we hired, I don't know even how we found him, but uh, she, we hired him and then she would write her email um, newsletter for the customers. And then before she sent it out, she would send it to him and then he would get on the computer and do like a loom. Like a loom. Yeah, or he would he would he would review it verbally. He'd go say, "Okay, this is it. where you need to move it here. You're being you know too long winded here. You need to move it here. This is too you know." Did this for several weeks? No, months, a few months. A few, a few months, months. But it really helped my. It radically changed the way she wrote, and then she took control of the writing, uh, which was has actually kept us afloat. Mm-hmm. So, but some of those things you have to. It, it's like an ongoing. Um, you have to wrestle with it. You have to you have to have your mind engaged in your business because it's it's not passive in that sense of the word. I mean, some of the operational stuff is like when we make the lotion, we've done it so much we can almost do it in our sleep. 
Yeah. But in terms of like the advertising, the marketing, the relationships, it's not always easy. You have to understand your customers and you have to understand yourself and what you're trying to say to, to people. And in, in our in our business, because it's e-commerce and we have to rely on materials and so on being available, I think a couple of times it got really scary when the company that I would always buy my supplies from would be out of a certain container and like, oh no, I need that container and they're going to be out of it for four weeks. And so you have to scramble to find your backup source. So there's there's always little things like that. Um, you kind of you learn because you you that happens and then you just know but it's all those little mistakes along the way as that has actually gained and benefited from and that's what we're teaching our kids early on see yeah. there 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 there's a lot of things we'll get advice it's like you know why don't you do this and i'm like that would be great if we didn't have kids and we were both single <laughs> single yeah. that's take like risk. we, we got to feed our risk. kids yeah, yeah we can there's a certain <laughs> level of risk but our children uh, we're able to take, be a lot riskier than we were. And that has paid off. So in other words, if they're wrong, the worst case is that they're sleeping on a buddy's couch, you know, or that's no big deal, or they can drive across the, the country, get another job. Well, we can't do that easily. So we're a lot more uh, conservative in the risks that we take. Um, Cause we've heard of people say, Oh, do this, you know, but they've gone through three marriages and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> there are limits. Now, had we started our lives younger, younger before we had kids, we definitely would have told our younger selves we should have taken those risks. We were way too conservative. We should have been, we should have taken that one bedroom apartment, and you know jumped at the very next uh, job availability, or whatever. But we weren't. We were super loyal uh, employees. Jobs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you guys have got this kind of wealth of knowledge and these wealth of skills. And you said you know you you paid for consultants and you paid for coaches. You guys could become coaches and consultants because you guys have managed to maintain a family much larger than most people have and yourselves for such a long period of time. Like a lot of businesses go out of business. I think it's within the first three or five years or something like that. You guys have been running for, you know, 14 odd years and, you know, thriving and surviving. You guys don't seem homeless for the listener. You know, they're in a house. <laughs> it seems nice. It seems clean. <laughs> they're happy and smiley and, and, you know, they're great people. So for you guys kind of looking to the future of of hard lotion what does that look like are you guys looking to you know maybe sell it or kind of expand to go global you know what what does it look like or what ideas do you have in that regard that that's come on you know on and off the table every now and then we think and really what we've done instead of deciding like where are we going to go with that business because we still have i still have a 11 year old daughter and another daughter, a six-year-old daughter. And I'm kind of like, well, and I tell my boys who are older and out of the house, like, if you could just marry some girl that wants to learn how to make lotion, <laughs> they, they, you guys will be set. You, you know, come we can expand it with somebody else. And um, so we don't really, we're happy and content with where it is right now. And we're doing different ideas. We'll expand little things, but uh, I, I don't want to grow the product base um, right now. But what we're doing, so our side, our little side passion project is what, what exactly what you're talking about is um, to teach other people. And so this is where it's like, it's definitely a, a passion of ours to show parents 
how they can raise their kids to be entrepreneurs using the same, everything that we have done as a trial and error. And believe me, we have experimented with our kids to see what works and how young can you start and what do you do? And, you know, sometimes parents think, oh, you must, you must groom them to become this one thing. And then they're stuck in their, in their ways. And it's like, no, 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 you can pivot. But there's so many lessons along the way when you're teaching your kids to become entrepreneurial that we are the parent, their passion.com is our, that's where we want to, that's what we really want to grow and get that message out. Um, we noticed that when COVID hit and a lot more parents were homeschooling and a lot of parents are deciding, oh, actually, this isn't so such a bad idea to homeschool. I thought it was just for all those weirdos with a whole bunch of kids and chickens and stuff. <laughs> but now being a lot of more parents are becoming familiar with that and they really want to continue down that path. We have been asked so many questions now and we, we had to wait. I mean, we've been this has been something that we have been doing with our kids and um, the, the message, the way we do it has been there, but we didn't have the proof yet. So we had, our kids were starting to make their own money by the time they were 18, but how, can we actually prove it? Cause if we have some failures along the way, how can we teach other parents that, but we feel a, a lot more confident now. And parents are coming to ask us like your kid, like that kid is known as a coder and your daughter, she's like an amazing graphic artist. They're known for those skills that they've developed and that's what we want to teach parents to do. It's like, there's, you keep, there's really nothing to lose. I mean, you might decide that, oh, I really wish that they stayed in soccer for, you know, six years because that I want them to become a soccer player. And that's what a lot of parents do. And maybe that's what they're supposed to do, or maybe that's what's meant for the kid. But instead, if parents kind of thought, well, the time that they're expending in, that, in this activity, is it going to be something that can really serve them long-term beyond just learning uh, a really good soccer skill and teamwork or so on. But is that something that they can actually go back and bring value to other people with that they can make a living on that maybe that's even to get them into the college that they really want to go to. And so for us, it was, what if our kids don't want to go to college and maybe that's not the great fit for them, then what can we do that by the time they're 18, they're far ahead of the game. And so we've come to that point where now we've got five kids that are 18 and over. And so our, future is where that is. So, um, where the lotion business it's got, I'm, you know, we'll still have, still we'll to bring in the money. Yeah. The other one, the parent fashion is the one that's that we're developing courses and so on. And, um, but that's, that's kind of where our heart and direction is. And I'm kind of hoping that I might have a daughter, daughter-in-law or son or whoever, um, expand the lotion or we sell it. Who knows? I mean, that hasn't, that that's always yeah. a possibility. Yeah. A lot of unknowns. Yeah, well, I mean, it's great to hear that you have uh, the uh, parent, their passion business, as well as the hard lotion, because it's like you guys are taking note of all the skills you had. And like John said earlier, you have awareness of how to kind of foster what your children care about and grow that interest and, you know, support them as best needed. But one thing I want to ask you is... You do so many different things. You, your parents, your business people, you know, you're just regular people. I'm sure you have your own interests and passions. But what is it about all the things you do business-wise and entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially that bring you the most joy? Probably seeing our kids develop their own interest into something that's much bigger than what they started off with, something that gives them a, a sense of overall um, purpose and direction in their life. That's probably what it is. And, um, yeah, for sure. Cause the other one, like a regular business, like we're, we're providing a solution to a problem, but it's not like 
you know, it's what we dream about. I mean, ideally, uh, Renee would have had no skin problem, right? <laughs> so, I mean, so it's not like you, you think of, you know, it's not like you think, hey, I want to solve all the rash problems of the world. It's not, it doesn't sound very sexy. Uh, but you know, that's the reality, you know, people, you know, people have restaurants because people get hungry, right? They don't want to go home and cook after hard days work. It's just that simple sometimes. And so you have to be as humbling in that way, because that's where most of us are in life. It's like, even the people who are super wealthy, when you look, when you break down, when you take away the titles and everything, and you look at the businesses they're running, a lot of it's just, you're, you're, it's the mechanics of providing something very simple at the end of the day, you know, with a lot of people working in it, possibly, but you're really solving now, you know, like a restaurant chain that maybe is making a lot of money. What is it they're really doing? Well, they're providing a place for people who don't want to go to two income people, right? Husband and wife, they don't want to come home. They want to pay somebody else extra money uh, to, to cook food and, and wash their dishes. At the end of the day, that's what you're talking about. So most of those things in life that you're providing are actually uh, not very glamorous sounding um you know, it's like even what, even the famous people like, you know, Facebook, Mark. So at the end of the day, what it started off because people wanted to share their kid, their kids stories. I mean, really, who would have thought that could have been glamorous? Um, I think so. Yeah. And I think for me, it would be um, seeing how two things. One is seeing how our kids are getting along so well with each mm -hmm. other, because one will need something. I'm thinking more of the adult kids, but one will need something, a skill or a service from one of the other kids. And they'll discuss things like, there's no competition. Like I just know growing up, I wasn't as close to my siblings, even though my brother was just a year younger and my sister is just two years older. You, you don't have that constant interaction like our kids do that at the end of the day, they can call each other up and say, hey, can you, do, can you 3D print this thing for my business? I need this, whatever. And they can share their skills with each other. So I think it, it's helped we didn't know, you know, having nine kids, we didn't really project what's it like after they leave the house. You know, you just hope they're going to stick around or come visit at Christmas, but to see how much interaction they have with each other and they don't see it as a competing thing at all, that it definitely, they help each other out. And then the other one is as a mom, when you have teenagers and you're kind of trying to like, you want a good relationship with them and then they leave the house and like, why are they going to call? Are they going to text you? for us, it's always, it brings me joy when they text asking some of our advice or saying, Hey, I've got this business opportunity, but I don't want to blow it. What do I do? And to me, that like brings me the most joy. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's, that, that's really good. <laughs> she brought that up because I think that's the one, one of the side benefits of like when they're running, the, they're all involved in things that are very different from each other and not, we don't, we don't have really any input on the technical stuff that they do. But what we don't even understand. I mean, people think, yeah. like, oh, you homeschool them, so therefore you must have taught them. Like, no, no. <laughs> we're like coaches. No. We just, we're, we're, yeah, we're more like them, coaches. But... So we're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, we're gonna go find go someone find who does. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's because you're they, they own uh, they own their their work, they own their so that part when the when the older adult children get together, they're always talking. And I don't mean just business. I'm just saying that they're, they're not, when you think of it, most of like as an employee, really most of the decisions are going to be made by multi, sometimes multiple managers. So you feel like you have very little control. So yeah, you do have a narrow control and it's very, but you don't make those big decisions as to whether, Hey, we should move the business to a different part of the country, for example, or I should hire more. Usually, those things are taken out of your hands. So you don't, when you're meeting someone else, unless they're in the same technical field, there's nothing to talk about. There's really nothing to talk about, right? You just wait for the weekend and then maybe you have a hobby together. Well, in this case, 
you're you're much more involved in the the mindset talk basically if you want to use the term but you're just much more involved in each other's lives just the bonding between people it, it becomes very strong where can the people find you online go to parenttheirpassion.com and when you get to that page i want your listeners to download a free worksheet uh, that helps you narrow a particular interest in your child's life or your teenager's life that you could potentially use to develop a, a passion and a marketable talent. And it's a lot easier than you think it is. It's just, you have to think differently and that worksheet's gonna show you. So if you put your email in there, I get your email and I will send you a newsletter with all sorts of tips. And in exchange right away, you'll get this amazing worksheet that you'll work through. And I think it'll be really exciting um, to see how your own family can really make a difference for your child's life outside of the uh, just traditional way of uh, getting the, an education. And this is ideal, ideal for ages 12 to 16. Sometimes by the time you're 17, 18, you're kind of figured out where what you're going to do. But if parents could think about this younger, um, not we get a lot sometimes from like really excited dads of two-year-olds like okay, just just no wait a little longer you can download it anyway but uh but 12 to 16 is really when if you can start that mindset switch and we kind of take you through that with different emails um then it will help you discover something and then for anyone who has the skin issues we actually have a free sample page you can just go and get sample even lip balm we do more than just the hard lotion now we have lip balms and other uh, we have a shampoo bar so we have some other things on there too but if you go to hardlotion.com forward slash freebie f-r-e-e-b-i-e then you can go and choose something that you want to try out just pay shipping and um, we'll ship that out to you because what if, if you have that struggle with the skin and the splits and especially summertime with the cuts and splits in your heels i've been there i know it um then this is something that you definitely want to try thank you for listening to people explained New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.